Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Hat Track Heroes. My name is Nick and today we are chatting with a lovely lady from the UK named Lee. Now welcome to the podcast Lee, how are you today? I'm very well, I like the lovely lady. You're welcome. Thank you very much, it's good to be here. Yeah, now can you tell us about yourself, where you're from and what you do with yourself these days? I live in West Sussex which is about 10 minutes from the beach in Rustington which is the next from Littlehampton. Right, okay. So this is the south coast of the UK, yeah? Absolutely. So when you're thinking south coast, it's pebbles oh. and cold water. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we're not quite exotic sandy <laughs> beaches, turquoise water. We're all in lockdown at the moment, so you can say whatever you like, really. Just pretend and say, oh, it's... Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> very exotic, I can't lie. I no. <laughs> and what are you doing with yourself these days? Well, I'm married. I live obviously with my husband and my cat. Okay. Um, I have my own business. I'm a freelance trainer. So I specialise in IT, but I do all sorts of other training as well. And that kind of has kept me busy and gainfully employed. Yeah. So you can work from home? Yeah, fortunately, a, a lot of companies are realising that that's the way to go. And they still want to take on new staff and upskill their existing staff. So it's a win-win for me. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Now, you're actually ex-crew of a couple of different airlines, uh, which is obviously why we've connected and, and having this interview. Can you give us a rundown of your, your previous life as a flight attendant, who you worked for, when yeah. it was, and maybe some memories well, of your time? It was a very long time ago, actually. When I was at school, a lot of the girls were saying when they wanted to go up, they wanted to be a, you know, a hairdresser or a nurse. So... Little Lee Richards pipes up and says, well, I want to be an air hostess. Ah. And that was a, quite a funny thing because until the day I left the UK to go and be crew in another country, mm. I'd never been on an aircraft in my entire life. Oh, wow. So if I hadn't liked it, I was pretty scuppered. <laughs> <laughs> so but how did you get the, the want to be a flight attendant with not even having... Traveled I don't before. know whether it's something I'd seen on the television, in a film or something, I, I, I can't, and my parents, I'd ask them, you know, they're sadly not with us anymore, but I kind of said, you know, where did I get this from? Yeah. Because they they've never been on a plane either, so it's <laughs> if they'd come home and told me about it. Yeah. They answered an advert in a newspaper and got the job. Nice, and what was the airline? The airline was Libyan Arab. I was too young. I wanted to join Freddie Laker. They wouldn't take you till you were 21, and I was only 18. Okay. And this airline took me at 18, so I toddled off to Tripoli about six weeks after my 18th birthday. And, yeah, that was it, really. Wow. Were your parents having fits? Well, I asked asked my dad that quite often in later life. Mm. Why on earth did you let me go? And, of course, you've got to remember, early 80s, it wasn't the dangerous place as much as it is now. Mm, okay. It was just another Middle Eastern country. And I had a great time. I loved it. I bet. Wow. I mean, these days, obviously, everyone goes on about, of course, Dubai and um, maybe some island off, off of Spain or something like that. But Libya? Wow. I have to tell you a very funny story. My first flight was in Tripoli, and they did the announcement in Arabic. Now, ah. They didn't speak Arabic. So they teach you to listen for Tessa, which is nine. Apologies for anyone who can actually speak Arabic. <laughs> and oxygen for the oxygen. So ah, you knew. And the oxygen. So they said to me to go to the front of the aircraft, and they moved the, the girl who was at the front into the middle, and they said to copy her. <laughs> okay. She was a, a stunning Maltese girl. Oh, okay. With long hair. And a fringe. Ah, I see. That's really important. I have really short hair and no fringe, and that's quite important. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of this demo, and she'd done the exits, and I was doing really well. And I think it must have been a conversation about your life jackets under your seat. Yeah. I didn't know about, need to know about that. And at this point, this girl adjusted her hair, and so did I, <laughs> because I was copying her. <laughs> It's like a game of Simon Says. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm not going to 
Oh, goodness gracious, that is a very funny story. I like that a lot, actually. <laughs> I ought to have been there, a fly on the wall to see that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I like have short, curly hair, like, in those days, like Joan Collins. Okay. Girl, as I say, had this elaborate ponytail that she adjusted and changed her fringe and fluffed her hair. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you did it with, like, a nice, nice pose or something like that and just flaunt... No, Probably horrified. What am I doing? <laughs> oh goodness me, that is great. Absolutely. Came home sort of nineteen eighty three, I think, and came home after a couple of years. Promised my mother I'd get a proper job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then I found this magazine that was asking for cabin crew who had had wide bodied flight experience for a new airline. And in nineteen eighty four I joined Virgin Atlantic. Wow, and this so this is at the very beginning of Virgin's um, it was indeed. tenure. Yeah, indeed. Wow. We had six crews of sixteen and one aircraft and one route. <laughs> Did you meet the uh, Sir Richard Branson? Often he was actually a really lovely man and I having seen his mother had passed away this month. She was she, I flew with her a couple of times. She was a truly lovely lady. Wow. You kind of feel proud that, that we were, we were there at the beginning and, and, you know, had such great times. I mean, I'm sure they still do, but yeah. at the beginning, it was very different. Yeah. I've only really flown Virgin once, and I was, wasn't meant to. I was coming back from Mexico, and I couldn't get on the United flight I was meant to take and because uh, it was a busy weekend. And the only one available was Virgin Atlantic, and I managed to get on, last person on, and it was my absolute favorite aircraft the 747 i've loved that yeah, since absolutely. i was a little boy and oh my gosh I, I felt like i felt like i was a little boy again you know just sitting there and going, oh, oh, oh you know i've been on a plane obviously loads but uh to fly on this one i was just in in awe of it it was a, a great flight and uh the company as a whole seems really? seems to have been Yeah, amazing. Such great memories, hey? Indeed. Now, I guess on to the topic of the this conversation. Um, so th the organization we're chatting about today is one that I think most people would have heard of and may know a little bit about, but tell us, who is this amazing organization that you actually work for? I'm actually a volunteer for Girl Guiding UK. And um, how did you become involved and what is your role, if you have a specific role? Right. I joined at the age of seven, I became a brownie. Ah, okay, cool, in cool. In local, my local church group, and then I went through guides and then rangers, and then I became an adult leader, and then I went away to fly for a few years. Right. And then bumped into one of the girls that I used to run the unit with one day in town, and we had a chat, and are you back? So I said, yeah, I've given up flying, I'm, I'm based back at home now, well, then I'll do. She said, would you like to come back to guides? And... I'm signing, I think this year I get my 30-year service award. Oh, wow. You've been in it for the long haul. Excuse the pun. Indeed, yeah. Absolutely. Very good one. Now. Thank, like thank, thank you very much. <laughs> I've, been a unit, I've run a unit. I've been like an area manager, which we call a district commissioner. And I now train leaders to be leaders. Ah, okay. So you're not involved specifically with the girls in a like a first-hand kind of thing anymore or no i had to give i gave that up very very reluctantly four years ago um, when i set my own training business up i find that i was traveling an awful lot in that first year i had a, um, a contract that i was away really from sunday night till friday night most weekends oh i see so and it just didn't lend itself to being there it became um, difficult yeah hour and a half. yeah, yeah. So I took, I, I, did, I was still involved, but I, I took a sort of year out, but then went back to training, certainly, you know, when I came from that, about three years ago, so. Yeah, okay. I guess your business life relates quite well to your training of the, the trainers. Yeah, because you, you know, what you learn as an adult, a professional trainer, and then as a trainer of adults, the two are, if you like, cross-contaminating because you can use the skills are transferable so easily. Do you find it's uh, 
I mean, obviously you have a different kind of relationship with the people that you do it on a business level. Do you find this is more personal, being that you've been a, a leader before and so forth? And in that... Yes, definitely, because you have your own experience to relate to. You can remind them of when, what you had as a leader, what you might have done, what you might have said, anecdotes that you've had in the past that, that relate to yeah, I see. journey coming through now. Was volunteering something you were always interested in? I mean, obviously, you were the brownie, the guide, the ranger. Did you think at that point, oh, yes, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to take this further and be a leader to all these girls coming through. It's funny, I, I did, when your question came through on about this, I had to laugh because I don't really see it as volunteering because I just never left. So it's yeah, I see. Done until someone actually says you're a volunteer, volunteer. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, I do, but I don't see it that way. Right, okay. When you left, did you find any sort of other kinds? Because obviously you would have been travelling the world with both of the airlines. Did you see things and experience things on your travels that gave you some kind of thought or maybe memories of what you had done with the brownies or guides and make you think, oh, yep, this is one day something for me again like I'm going to go back and do something in a volunteer sense or that's a really good question to be honest not really no, no. they are obviously vastly different but then you, you do have those experiences that you can talk to your girls about because they go yeah, like, yeah. on holiday to X or we're going here and you say oh I've been there or yeah. on the flight you could do this this and this right so, yeah so in that way I think it's related to yeah yes. I see I see now, for, for the listeners that aren't aware of Girl Guiding mm-hmm. UK, can you tell us who they are, like the beginnings, and, and who typically yep. becomes a member, like the, the ages and the levels kind of thing? It is a long story, but I will cut it really short. <laughs> if we go right back to 1907, when a man called Baden Powell created a boys' organisation called the Boy Scouts, and they held a rally in London in 1910, and some really brave girls sort of hopped over the fence and went out and said to Baden Powell, this is all very well, but what about girls? We want something. So he was quite impressed with this, and he asked his sister to form what we now know is Girl Guiding UK. So the Brownies and the Rangers followed that in, after 1910, and then more recently, just in 1987, we got the Rainbows. Okay, so I did have a quick look on the website just to give myself a bit of a bit of a, a recap oh, of things <laughs> so rainbows tell me yeah. what's rainbows are adorable mm. uh, they're five their age is five to seven okay so be join at five and stay until seven then the brownies take over and you become a brownie from seven to ten then if you stay on to guide you be that's ten to fourteen okay yeah are fourteen to eighteen and then you join the, the adult leaders so would you then say Oh, okay. Interesting. Huh. So from 18, you can join that one. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and be an adult Yeah, okay. Just going back a bit. So rainbows, just so I have more of an understanding, that's the equivalent of joeys in the scouts. Is that correct? Um, it's kind of um, beavers. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Yeah. I think because I grew up in Australia, that's why it was called Joey's. Indeed. Now I see beavers. beavers. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. Jeez, so cute. Adorable. Yeah, yeah. It must be so much fun just watching them get out there and do their thing on a on a, a night or something like that. Yeah, it is, and, and they have you know they can have their own separate things that the girls do. Yeah. But we join. There's a new program called the Girls Guide. Yeah. Okay, so it's all streamlined. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I've just mentioned the Joey slash Beavers. Is there much of a difference between girls in guiding and girls that are in scouting? And two-part question, do you think there are benefits for joining one and not the other? I do think there are benefits, and not just because we don't obviously have boys in the guides. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Girl Guiding UK, we are really proud of the fact that we have 
the only girl only space. And although the scouts are on mixed and, and that works great for, for a lot of the units, I think we've also taken away that boys only space. So I don't think there's a lot of difference between the two of them because you know that the opportunities that both have are you know are there and the impact of being a member of either of them can have on their confidence, their resilience, yeah, yeah. the skills for life. So we both do the same thing but in just different ways. I guess it takes away that pressure that a girl or a boy might get when they're in front of the opposite sex, you know, because especially when they get to guide age, it's the puberty stage Absolutely. where they're like, yeah. oh, that boy's cute or that girl's cute or whatever it might be. So I guess there's no pressure. They do their thing, they mix with the girls, they create bonds and create friendships and don't have to feel, oh, you're this, you're that, that boy's looking at me, not at you, that whole, whole kind of thing that comes into it is just not there. So... I, I, I do see that, that part of it being quite a positive thing for boys or yeah, girls, absolutely. you know. Yeah, I mean, that notwithstanding as well, I think a lot of the girls that have gone into the scout movement, they're usually showing the, the boys up. Yeah, okay. better at some of the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think sometimes the, the, the boys get the thin end of the wedge. <laughs> yeah, especially at that age as well. I mean, if a boy can't do something as well as a girl, it must be like... Arr! But you can't get away from it. <laughs> you don't go back. You can't say go back to guys, can you? No, that's it. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you say are the key motivations for girls joining girl guiding? Besides, of course, just being girls and having that space. Well, we do things like they go to their first ever sleepover, whether it's at rainbow level or it's up at rangers. They can go canoeing. They can leave their own camp. Some things they can just have fun and just enjoy new things with their friends. Certainly when I was a guide, I guided with a lot of girls that were at different schools, so I wouldn't have had interaction with them right. because they were at a different school and perhaps a yep. slightly different part of the, the town I lived in. It's the fact that at school you get one group of girls, but when you're at guides or brownies, whatever it might be, you might get from other parts of the town that you might not get to see. Yes, so yes. Yeah, you can get, I guess, a bit of an excitement each time that um, uh, meeting comes on around on a Tuesday or whatever night the meeting is, and you're like, oh, yes, I get to see Sarah tonight or something like that, rather than Jill that's at school every day, you know? So, Indeed. yeah, right, okay. And, 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 you know, the other things we teach them, you know, about working in a team, taking the lead, speaking out on issues they care about, and yeah. giving them the, the skills and confidence that sort of help them become the young women that they want to be. And I guess as well, they can take these extra skills back to school, put it towards maybe one of the classes they're doing and having a different perspective from other girls or from the leader and being able to integrate the two together in a sense. Yeah, indeed. In fact, one of my co-leaders and one of my friends, she's got a 16-year-old daughter and she went to a barbecue back in the summer when we were able to meet and... They weren't able to get the barbecue lit. So this young girl had used what her mum had taught her about using cotton wool wrapped in Vaseline and light that. Huh. And got this barbecue going. No and way. She spent the rest of the evening telling everyone all the skills she'd learned at Girl Guiding. Wow. That's a so yeah, great plug for... Absolutely, she was the coolest girl there on the night. Yeah. She could get the barbecue lit. Wow, do you know what? If if she was a, a girl scout when I was at Scouts, she would have shown me up. That's a perfect example of me hiding and running and saying, because I, I have no idea about this. I've got to remember this, actually. Next time I do a barbecue. Yeah, Vaseline and a cotton, and on a piece of cotton wool and light that saves you having those smelly, horrible firelighters, which, you know, stick loads of chemicals into the... Yeah, there we are. Everyone listening, there's a cheeky little <laughs> tip for you for the next time you have a get together or something. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. On that, and this is the first week I've done this where I've actually put a request out there for people to send in a question. And I have a question from Corinne. The question being I just wanted to know how they choose the activities that the girls do. And how does Girl Guiding UK envisage it helping them in later life? Well, our, as I said earlier about the new programme, it's got all of the opportunities in it 
where they can lead, learn and discover. Girls take on outdoor challenges. They can explore astronomy, filmmaking, and it's girl-led. The girls choose what they want to do. It's packed full of opportunities where they can lead, so yeah. that gives them a little bit of management and experience of, of getting someone else's opinion. So when they're at work, they're getting an idea of, of their ideas not always right. They're open to listen ah, to I see. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see. And I guess it, so. It's basically a, a great uh, learning curb for them for perhaps when they are leaving school and and doing that interview for a job. For example, like when I applied for Emirates, there was a, a group stage on the open day, and it was very much about what they looked at in regards to our listening, our interaction, how we mixed with the other group. So. This, I guess, would be a perfect chance for a youngster to get that experience and then utilise it later on applying for a job or for, for whatever it might be. Absolutely. And as a trainer, you go, for, you go on assessment days, probably similar to your group interview, where you're assessed not only how you can deliver, you're given a, a subject and you deliver like a five or ten minutes bit on a presentation or a bit of the training, mm. but it's how you interact with everybody else during the day. Because yes. You're not there just to, to tell someone how to do it. You are coaching them to be able to get whatever bit of software or whatever you're training them to do to get the best out of them. So it's also bringing that into it that they're used to working together in small groups. You know, they they, they we encourage self-government and decision making, okay. caring for the individual, all that sort of thing. They're taught in girl guiding, and that. Then when they go to work, they get to understand other people's perspectives and opinions and feelings, really. It's perfect grounding for them, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it, it's doing that and the, 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 the programme that we have at the moment, which gives them the opportunity to get involved a lot more. And especially, I guess, it helps a lot for, I mean, I know, I know my younger sister was, I mean, maybe we were all shy, but we all like to say that the other one was more shy than the other, but my younger sister was uh, very shy and I think going through this whole system was something that helped her get rid of a lot of her shyness. We, we noticed that a lot when the girls come along to us. I had a particular guy who was really, really shy and she came along with a friend who was actually quite outgoing. Okay. After a couple of months, the, the, her friend left because it didn't fit in with her schedule. She had so many other things she did. And, you know, with a bit of chat with the girl's mother, we kind of persuaded her to carry on. Okay. About, I think about a couple of years later, when she then took over running a patrol and brought a, a very new girl up to make her promise, you know, you kind of had that thought, you know, when you joined, you were absolutely terrified. You wouldn't speak to anybody. And here you are bringing up this new girl to get, make her promise and become part of the unit. Yeah. How far you come. Yeah, it shows great growth and potential for what a, a girl can come from and, and, and reach. Absolutely, because yeah. it's a safe environment. Yeah, it all goes back to not having the pressures of the outside and the boys or whether it's a school thing or something like that. It's just a, another environment that a girl can feel comfortable in. Yeah. They develop their sense of self and how they relate then to the wider world. Is there a, a, a set of core values that the girl guiding is trying to instill into these girls? Yeah, I mean, we have, every um, section has their own version of the promise, which isn't mandatory, but they can make it if they wish. And it's you know, something we encourage them to if they want to. We also have the five essentials, which is part of the program, and the new program, which is now the program, in which girls explore the world through the program six themes. And can you give us a bit of a rundown on what that is, what okay. that program is? Yeah. Which is know myself, express myself, be well, have adventures, take action, and skills for my future. That runs through all the sections. All key things that you need to really take on board for, for life. Well, that's what we're hoping, you know, because before it was, it was great when I was a guide, you know, you learn to, to knit and to sew and to do laundry, which isn't necessarily relevant now. We've had to move on to, to keep up with the times and keep yeah. popular. Yeah, of course. So, you know, the, the, the programme does introduce now 
far more relevant skills for the 21st century. It's interesting for me because I, I guess, like yourself, when I was doing all these things, it, it was all about, what was it? Um, well, I struggled with sewing, that was for sure. But, you know, that was one of the things that I probably should have focused on, which I have no idea how to do still, but... I mean, I'm not a scout. I, I don't know, but, but you know, you think it would be relevant because what do you do when you have a button come off your shirt? <laughs> ask my mum. Ask your mum, yeah. Or in Dubai, you take it to someone to have it done. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my I'm goodness. I'm rubbish at sewing as well. <laughs> yeah. So I, I never really ever saw that. <laughs> It's just one of those things. <laughs> Up to my knees in, in, in a muddy puddle at yeah, yeah, that's it. I will say, though, it does give me a great excuse to ask one of the others on board and have a chat, you know, just say, excuse me, um, Michelle, do you fancy fixing my my waistcoat today? Wink, wink. <laughs> so, oh, so bad, so bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what, not even the wink? And if it was me, I'd be completely useless. I can't sew either, so <laughs> Oh, goodness me, goodness me, that's funny. Actually, do you know what? This brings me slightly on to the next question. So there's some famous people that I researched were involved in Girl Guides. Uh, do you think that I could ask Emma Thompson to do sewing for me? Or maybe the she Queen? change the spark plugs and do the oil in an engine because she then went on to do that quite famously during the war. I believe she did do this in her guiding book. So she probably would remember all those things that they were talking about. I'm sure, yeah. There was Emma Thompson I saw, J.K. Rowling, the author, yeah. and um, obviously the Queen. They're just some of the famous names who were girl guides. Do you have any experience of girls that you've met or girls that have been in your area or troop that have gone on to do to some form of notoriety with attribution to two girl guides? No, I don't actually, but I do know that Anita Roddick, who was founder of the body shop, which are actually based in Littlehampton, she was a girl guide, as was Tanny Gray Thompson, who's one of our top Paralympians. Ah, there you are. So, yeah, they, they sort of really, they don't attribute it to girl guiding, but they just say, I was a guide and I, I remember it. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Even more so, are there any personal stories for you of girls that you've been associated with? That I mean, you mentioned a couple, like the, the shy girl, but uh, in the sense of growth and, and reaching their potential? Yeah, I mean, apart from that, that little girl who was incredibly shy, the other one I remember is one, when one of the girls left, she was a nice memory for you to as well because it's meant that there was a a bond and that relationship that which is what you want to have formed in in the group absolutely i mean i'm in my late 50s and you know that was only about 10 years ago so okay. the fact that i could relate to somebody who was so much younger in her way was a tremendous compliment for me it's uh, it's really great i mean to have that feeling and that um that thought afterwards is super special Leading on from this, how does it make you feel seeing seeing the growth of these girls? It's when you, you're actually, um, as a trainer, we, we obviously don't do it face-to-face -face now, but it's when you do a face-to-face -face training for new leaders or a refresher for something that they have to do as part of the compliance, and you realise she was one of your guides. And you think, well, she obviously enjoyed it enough to want to go and be a leader herself. And we, we do try not to embarrass them and say, good grief, I remember you when you were 10 year old as a guide. But <laughs> they do quite like it if you do remember them. Of course, it's that notoriety well, kind of thing. Absolutely. And when they bring their children up to be brownies, it's like, really? Oh, heavens, I feel far too old now. <laughs> 
<laughs> it happens to all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> now, back in the day, obviously I've mentioned I was involved in Cub Scouts and Ventures, and, mm-hmm. and both my sisters were also involved going on camps and fundraising and also gang show. And yeah, they still do those. They still do. Oh, my goodness gracious me. There's some memories. Yeah. <laughs> now, as I mentioned our mum was the instigator of us all getting involved and I told her I was doing this interview and she got a bit excited and saying that she she met Lady Baden-Powell, I think that's the wife wow. of, is that the wife of the founder? Yes. Back in 1967. Right, yes. And wow. so mum wanted to know, as a volunteer, what do you admire most about the founder, Baden-Powell? That he just decided that there was a, a, an opening, that, that uh, there was an organisation needed for young people and that he went ahead and he organized it for them and he set it up and then had the foresight to appreciate when these girls gate crashed the rally at crystal palace and said well what about something for the girls yeah he didn't just dismiss them out of hand no listen to them and realize that there was a space there or a niche there for the girls and it was just the fact that going back at that time of year at that time there'd be nothing for young people so I really admire the fact that they decided to do that for the benefit of young people. And you mentioned before that his sister was the one that really took it on board. Can you give us some kind of similar thoughts about her? Agnes was his sister, and she probably felt the same way as those girls that get crashed the rally, you know. In those times, ladies were raised to be very proper and very elegant and... and you know, weren't really able to run around, I think, and do a lot of the things that yeah. freedoms that our young people have now. So the fact that she was able to take it on and be that sort of pioneer, because ladies didn't do things like that. Oh, she must have had a lot of resistance. I would have thought, no, I agree that she probably did, yes. When you look at, the, you know, the suffragettes, the ladies that, that, that fought to give women the vote, the thought of them, some of them spending the night in a public jail could have meant ruin for the rest of their lives. So the fact that these girls, these women, were able to stand up and say, well, I want to run this and, and, and give these girls the opportunity to be girl guides, she probably did have an awful lot, perhaps, of bad press. Yeah, of course. But to push through those challenges and to push the association on and on and create something so special and to, you know what if they were to see the association now I'm sure they'd be oh, absolutely we like to think they'd be proud of, of what we do now I'm sure they would be the fact that it's still going is testament yeah, in it itself absolutely yeah so. that's right does the organisation though have difficulty in gaining new members I mean there's always been for me I mean from my memories there was always a stigma around scouting where I grew up but is that a similar kind of thing for girl guides? I mean, for me, I was a little bit embarrassed if I was to go to school and say, yeah, last night I had scouts. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure if it's the same well, I, kind I of to, thing. I have to confess that I agree with you. Where I used to meet as a guide, we were en route to the local youth club that ran a, a disco oh. at the age of me. The <laughs> my guides. Ah, I see. Always be doing tent pitching on the bit of the green just along from this youth club. And oh, yeah, you you can imagine it was never, never trendy. I still (laughs) don't think it is now, but I think it's more modern enough that it's not quite so, not a stigma, but it's not an embarrassment. And I also think that those, those kids that laughed at us. We're probably dead jealous that they couldn't do those cool things. Yeah, like true. How I kind of got that. Yeah, of course. The way to look at it, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And as well, you. <laughs> and as well, this girl that lit the barbecue with the Vaseline and the cotton ball. Boom. She was the coolest person at the point. Yeah, that's it. She would be enough to go home and tell her mother. Told me with great glee. That's it. That's it. And I guess as well with the fact that you that you say that the things that the girls do have moved along with the times, so it's probably more relevant as well. And they can go to school the next day and be like, "Yeah, last night we did this cool thing," and and be proud of what they've done. I guess. I like to think so. And there's been a lot of um, publicity. The, the campaigns that um, girl guiding have, have sort of 
publicised in, in, in Latin years, certainly the one I remember, which yeah. is the, the free being me. Because so many girls want to say, you know, I want to look like that model in that photograph without realising that it's being airbrushed and that model doesn't actually look like that. So we campaigned that there was this particular, you know, attendance given to this so that the girls realise that it isn't how it is, you know, it's, it's lighting, it's makeup and it's being airbrushed for that person to look that immaculate. It was, you know, a lot of the girls were thinking, well, if I don't eat, I will end up looking as good as that. And you never look that good because that model has been slightly adjusted yeah do work really hard for their their shape was just appreciating that they are free to be there yeah and we are all different yeah okay how does the association go about attracting new members well it's never been something i've really thought of because Mm. i've always been in it but but i've been asking a few of my sort of co-leaders and a lot of them it's it's publicised in the local church, so if, if they're a unit that is part of a church group, they know automatically that this is going on. If your parents, if your mother was in it, then that's of course. what she would do. And in a lot of villages, small villages, it's the, the sort of thing to do, and, and there's a waiting list to join. Yeah, I mean, not so much huh. the, the guy. Yeah, I, what we do, we seriously have waiting lists, because the problem we have is actually attracting enough leaders Ah, I see. A lot of the time with the scouts, dad will go along and help, but mum might still be at home, still busy, perhaps with the younger siblings. And a lot of the time, mums come along and help their daughter because their daughter's at brownies, but then when their daughter leaves brownies, mum doesn't always stay there. Yeah, okay. Perhaps a leader that way. Well, I was about to ask actually. Um, so obviously, you need the girls to have an association, which you seem to have an abundance yep. of. But you also need leaders and volunteers. Definitely. Where do they come from? Obviously, you probably get like yourself coming through the ranks and then taking on board the role of being a leader. But are there any prerequisites besides having been in the in the association to being in such a position? To, you don't have had to have been a brownie or a guide. You, Turn up and join. You do not have to be a previous member. So anyone out there who's not been a guy that would like to come and join us, please don't think that you. No. Okay. There you are. Yeah. They're definitely. They just be eighteen. That's the only prerequisite. That's the only one. Yeah. Do they have to do like police checks and so forth these days, or? Yeah, we do. They do have to. They do that, right? It's a DBS check, which we do for them. And once they decide that they, there's two ways you can do it. You can either come along and actually say. Great, right, I'm going to become a leader, I'm going to uniform, and I'll go down the formal qualification route. Or you can just turn up and be a unit helper, where you come once or twice, or you might come every month, but you don't want to become an actual trained leader. You just want to come along every week just for the, 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 the fun and to help the girls. You do still have to have the police check and a couple of the compliance levels of safeguarding. So you don't have to become formally qualified, you can just come along and help. Right, okay, okay. Anyone listening, you know, contact your local area. At the moment, girls aren't, they're not allowed to meet face-to-face. They are doing a lot of virtual guiding. Ah, okay. You meet on Zoom or Teams. Yeah. They bake cakes, they even do yoga online, things like that. That's giving them a new skill as well. Yeah. Because they're used to Zoom, so if they do, if they are at an age where they're going to go to work, Mm. They're used to that because I think that will be, um, you know, there will be a shift that a lot of people will work from home like they've never done before. Yeah, obviously you're a trainer for these leaders. Is there any specific kind of training that you would do for the leaders once they've become involved? Yeah, they have to have a first aid qualification. So certainly, you know, anyone who's true, your first aid qualification will really help you. Yeah. You don't have to go through just the... the um, the child side of it, so no child CPR and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And the, the, the you know, girl guiding rules and regulations that come along with that. They have to attend safeguarding training, and there is a qualification process if that's what they want to do, and they get assigned a local mentor who will help them go through it. It's, it's not a, uh, like a test type of thing, but, you know, they get to attend local meetings. They might go and visit another unit, you know, a brownie unit if they're guides or rainbows if they're brownies. So they get to know what the other groups do. And that's really all they need. That's all they go through. Yeah, okay. And that's organised majority of the time by... Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, as I said, we have areas that, that we're in, and the local sort of commissioners who are like the area manager would introduce, have a chat to them, go through it with them, and they say, yes, you know, I'd like to become a leader. You know, we all skip around the room because it's so exciting to get a new leader. Give them a mentor, and then, you know, they, I think it's anything, it takes between three or six months, but it can take longer depending on how long somebody might be busy at work and yeah. all with a young family so they don't have the time. And they get their qualification and, and off they go. So it's quite a simple process, really. It is. It's just designed to get them used to, you know, the other type of units, the other groups in the organisation, yeah. who's around them in the area, who's there to support them. Now, I remember back in the day that girl guides would come around the neighbourhood selling delicious biscuits. Do they still do this kind of thing, like non-COVID times? No, in UK, we've never gone around selling biscuits. Ah, okay. I mean, an American or possibly an Australian. Yeah, okay. We never, we don't tend to do that. That's a shame, because they were delicious. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ah, okay, okay. So when it comes to raising money, what kind of things would Girl Guiding UK do? And the money they raise there gets ploughed back into the, the local area. Certainly, Girl Guiding's own shop. Ah, yes, I remember. Yes, okay. Yeah. When you buy a uniform and all that sort of stuff. Ah, that's right, yeah. A, is this all coming back now? Yeah, I'm getting all these memories. Yeah, the hats. I mean, for me and the Scouts, we had the. Do, you, do Girl Guides have a hat? No. No, okay. For that. Yeah, no. thank you. Oh, you guys are lucky. No, no. Shish. I hated that thing. <laughs> as, as, a, as a guide, I had a hat. As a ranger, I had a hat. As uh, a leader, as I call it in Victorian times, um, <laughs> back in the 80s, we had hats. And yeah. This wonderful man named Jeff Banks redesigned the uniform, and we had polo shirts and sweatshirts. Oh, and oh my gosh. It's so much better for those of us who like to be in the middle of a field lighting fires. Where was he when I needed him? Cheapers. I think that's why I was probably embarrassed of things because it would be my, I think it was brown shoes maybe, it was my socks pulled up to my knees, and this is khaki colour, shorts, shirt tucked in with a big bulky brown belt, a neckerchief with the, the tie thing, and... The hat. Oh my goodness. As a guide, it was a, a sort of tunic shirt with a belt and an awful hat. They never fit it So, you know, one of the main things that have moved along with the times is the uniform. It's the uniform. Oh, thank goodness. So, for all the girls out there that. Shirts and, yeah. No need to be embarrassed anymore. Not at all. Brilliant. You can come back now, Nick, you know? I'm sure there must be um, a scout group. My goodness. I do not know what I would teach them. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> so we were talking about raising them, raising money and so yeah. forth. When you do the money raising, is it for the local troop or for the local area? And, and what exactly do the funds go to? The funds really go to, a lot of the time you have to pay upkeep on the, or rent if you're not in a, your own environment. So if you, rent, you might have to rent a church hall, you might go, you know, you might meet in a local school, so you might have to pay for that. Plus we buy the badges for them. A lot of units buy their sword in the days when they had books, they buy the handbook and their badge book for them and things like that. And it, it goes towards some of the more adventurous activities so that we don't keep having to ask the parents for money. They pay subs. They pay a subscription amount each term or each year. A percentage of that goes to Girl Guiding UK, and it's really there for insurance purposes. Right, I see. We had an accident, for instance, in one of our meetings, and needed life-changing treatment or changes at home, then that insurance policy would would help cover that. Yeah, okay. So leaders have to fund that. So there's a percentage that goes up to HQ, of their subs, and you don't want to keep asking parents for money. No. You know, we'll be doing an activity. You know, well, it's I'm paying you each month or each year, whatever it is. Why are you now doing activities that's going to cost me? If I've got two or three children, that's a lot of money. So we also do things with gift aid. So the girls whose parents are UK taxpayers, we can, um, some of the leaders can claim that gift aid from HMRC. And a lot of the time, they also go to... We get grants from trusts and foundations, partnerships with local businesses. Recently, Girl Guiding UK teamed up with the BBC Children in Need Appeal, and the 
postcode lottery. So some of our training presentations have got the postcode lottery on it because they help fund a lot of new trainers to become webinar trainers during lockdown. Yeah. For a CIPD qualification. Right, I see. So, so really the, the money is, I mean, obviously when you're paying for the hall and so forth, it's not going directly to the girls, but importantly, it's going to the girls' growth. It does, and a lot of the time, you know, the activities we do, you have to buy equipment for them to do activities. Yeah, I see. We don't charge them every week for, right, well, we're doing, say, the cooking. We don't charge them. Sometimes we get them to do it in a group. Yeah. We get them to bring the stuff in because it's teaching them the responsibility. But, you know, if there's four of you in a group, you're going to make cakes. One brings the sugar, one brings the flour, one brings the butter. Yeah. Except, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah. But a lot of the time, if we do stuff as a unit, the funds pay for the equipment for that particular activity. So it gives them the opportunity, and that's where yeah, and you want to see. None of us, no leaders get any money out of it at all. The important part is that the girl comes in, she's Absolutely. seeing and experiencing something that's going to benefit her for life, you hope. So even if it's just yeah. that she remembered the fun she had. Now, is the organisation gaining enough support to allow it to achieve the goals that uh, Girl Guiding UK sets out to do? Well, other than the, the sort of children in need campaign and the postcode lottery, which really does obviously give us a, a big influx of funds and assistance, you know, we, we do have the chief guide, the assistant chief guide, the chief exec who you know, come from different parts of the business world as well. So they bring their expertise in to help guide where we want this association to go. So I think a lot of the time that sort of expertise really helps. So going back to BP and Agnes, you know, we've got the chief guide, the assistant chief guide, the chief executive of Girl Guiding, who runs it as if it were a business. So that's the sort of support we get. Yeah. Plus we have ambassadors, and, you know, local mayors and, you know, different people in the community. Okay, perfect. Help out areas. To have those kind of people giving their support enables all sorts of things. Absolutely. Even yeah. Yeah, okay. Looking back, what do you think you've gained most being involved with Girl Guiding? crossover yeah and it, it's the fact that they had fun but i could relate it to the learning outcome because i've just done this with my girls and yeah yeah so you know it's, it's also the sanity during lockdown i've been lucky enough to retrain as a webinar trainer and i've been delivering these compliance webinars because we had a deadline to get all of the leaders trained or retrained by the end of december 2020 so we were doing these webinars two or three times a day and it, is, it gave me something to do, because otherwise I would have gone nuts during lockdown. Yeah, for sure. As a face-to-face trainer, there wasn't a lot I could do. Yeah. What advice would you give to parents considering enrolling their child into girl guiding? That's really a difficult one. But, you know, we kind of like to think that whether your, your daughter has a clear idea of what they want to be when they grow up, or if they're still looking to find that out, the leaders are there to support them on the journey, you as well as your daughter. And if you think that when they become a rainbow, brownie, guide, or ranger, they're joining a group of girls their own age and are led by the trained and dedicated volunteers. And whatever inspires her, whatever her passions and interests are, we would hope that Girl Guiding will offer the chance to develop that potential, make friends, and have fun. And that's really what we're about. Right. 
Amazing. Do you, do you have details for the listeners on how to become involved? I do, yes. If you go and open an internet browser and put in www.girlguiding.org.uk forward slash get involved because you really can make a difference. That is correct. Well, it's been amazing to be able to chat about this with you and I guess a bit of uh, memory jog for me as well back into my old days and it's it's great to hear that it's still going strong and it still has the the, the amazing capabilities that are available for young girls obviously growing up into their teenage years and into into to young adults and so forth it's extremely great to be able to hear that it's such a strong organization still so thank you so much oh goodness gracious 100,000 in the UK? Well, around the organisation, we do have Richard oh. guides overseas. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah, but yeah, okay. I think it's, you know, a membership over 100,000. Oh, wow. You know, just helping them, Jackson. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for... Thank you for letting me chat away for the last hour. Yeah, no, it's a, a real privilege, Lee. Real privilege. So, um, yes, thank you so much for coming on.